Hello, and welcome to the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who made content on YouTube weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome back here for another episode of the Courtside, and we are actually doing this on a Tuesday because we want to kind of give ourselves a break from Memorial Day, and as well, I want to say happy belated Memorial Day to everybody and those families who are also celebrating it and those who are remembering those soldiers, sailors, and everyone in the armed forces for the United States. And again, happy Memorial Day to everybody, but let's go straight into the NBA as we had a killer Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. And we'll go into that right in the beginning of this episode. And then, of course, got to talk about a specific team's offseason and the upcoming finals and a possible finals preview before Thursday. However, the Miami Heat hosting a game seven as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference had Miami won this one. It would have been a 2012 repeat where 2012 LeBron goes 45 points in Boston's game six. And then it goes off to finish off the Celtics winning 13 points on the deficit over the Celtics in their Game 7 in 2012. However, despite Jimmy Butler midway through history, got 47 points in Game 6, history would not repeat itself as the Boston Celtics held on a lead throughout the entirety of this game and won it 100-96. And this was a game that had conspiracy theory, I mean, speculation. But at the end of the day, the Boston Celtics end up winning it and going to their first Finals in the past decade from missing out multiple Eastern Conference Finals opportunities and actually making it through the curse. But let's go straight into that game, though, where the Celtics won 100-96 to over the Miami Heat. The Celtics winning that first quarter 32-17, to and the Celtics look on fire offensively as the Miami Heat struggled to even go anywhere in the perimeter. I mean, for example, throughout this entire game, I don't even believe there's any... Miami Heat players that got more than one three off and made it in. I mean, besides Max Struess, who ended up the day two and seven behind the uh, three-point arc, which is honestly nothing to boast about, only 28.6% overall from three, and he also would go three and ten. But at the same time, the Miami Heat missing shots past the perimeter. However, in the second quarter, Miami boosted themselves attacking the paint with Jimmy Butler, who looked like he played every single minute in this game as the Miami Heat brought it only within a two-possession game going into the second half. In the second half, third quarter, real close. And then the fourth quarter, you see the Celtics boost out to a 13-point lead. Then the Heat bring it down to about six points. And then again, when it's about a two-point deficit, the Celtics bring it back over to double digits. But the last minute 30 of this game was something to behold Because as a Celtic fan, if you're looking at that, you're ripping your hairs out thinking, what on earth is going on? The Miami Heat, Max Drews, making only one of his two threes in those last minutes. And then out of nowhere, Jimmy Butler gets a basket. And the Celtics can't get anything. They're just hooking up shots past their perimeter. They're getting good looks, but they can't knock anything down. Marcus Smart was struggling from the field overall in those last couple of minutes of the fourth quarter. And then the Miami Heat found themselves... Only down by two. Mind you, this was a team that was down by double digits about a minute before this even happened in the remaining seconds. So the Miami Heat down by two with 18 seconds remaining. Jimmy Butler has the ball going onto the right side of the sideline. And 
Al Horford's on him. He's kind of backspacing, uh, anticipating Jimmy Butler to go inside and try to convert a foul as he usually does. However, Al Horford over there, and I do believe with Jalen Brown as well, on the right side of the box in the paint, was ready to contest that if he did come inside. So Jimmy Butler thought to himself, killer instinct, I am the guy. He's Hemi Butler, some Heat fans would say. He ends up deciding to take that three-point shot. And that three-point shot, with a plenty of time to even run down for a player, even wait for the Miami Heat to actually come down with a five-man roster instead of having this one-on-two situation with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler takes that three on the right wing, and everyone thought it was going in. Even Eric Spolstra during the press conference after the game was talking about, man, I thought that was in. I thought that was in. However, it went far to the left, hit the top right of the basket, and the Celtics ended up getting the rebound there, and they would finish the game off with free throws and another defensive stop, which meant that the Celtics survived in the Miami Heat last-minute push, and that feels to be kind of what this entire series looked like in the remaining three games. I mean, from Game 5, you know, the Celtics had to make sure the Heat were away from them, and they blew them out in the second half. And then Game 6, the Celtics tried to come back, and the Heat, doing what basically what Boston did in Game 7, decided to hold them off and keep on scoring. And then this Miami Heat team in Game 7 just would not quit. And you have to give credit to Jimmy Butler. If there was a player out there getting the MVP for the Eastern Conference Finals, it would be Jimmy. Guarantee. And then we look at the stats, let alone for Jimmy Butler. As I did say before, he's basically played the entire game. We're talking about 48 minutes flat. Playing 48 minutes in this game, he ended up having 35 points, one rebound away from a double-double, and shooting 54.2% from the field. And as funny as it is, only him and Bam and Abayo, who ended up having 25 points, and as well, 46.09 minutes, so more than 40 minutes in this one they were the only two efficient players on this Miami Heat squad that shot better than 50%. As crazy as that sounds, Cal Lowry, sure he put in numbers, 15 points, 7 rebounds, which is pretty nice for a guard, especially as his size. But at the same time, 4-12 and 12 from the field. Max Drews, as I said before, 3-10 and 10 from the field. P.J. Tucker, and I know that Tucker was battling through injuries throughout this entire series like everybody else was on both sides. But 17 minutes in this one, he doesn't even get a basket. Only throws up two shots in this one. Defensively, he was out there. He was doing his job. But in reality, I mean, you got to go get something. You got to go get a basket. He went 0-2 from 3 in this one. And in reality, it's like, man, I mean, those corner threes from P.J. Tucker, they were the difference in Game 6. And who knows? They could have been the difference in Game 7. And then, of course, the Miami Heat's bench. I mean, it looked like they were just doing a 7-man rotation, especially with Tyler Hero, who actually was available in this game due to a grunt injury sidelining for the past two ones, but I mean, he might as well just sit out six minutes, 43 and zero points in this one going 0 and two from the field. I mean, he only played about maybe a couple of possessions in that first half and you never saw him again. That just tells you he was really battling out and I give him credit for coming out there for the Miami Heat, just trying to do something for them as the bench of the Miami Heat only scored 13 points, 9 points from Victor Oladipo, and gave Vincent only 4 points. And it was 1-4 overall from the field. And as crazy as that, 1-3 from past the arc. So that means Miami, they live by the 3, they die by the 3. But again, of course, the Boston Celtics as well. 
the big three of them showed out having about 75 or more points in this one the big three of the Celtics Jason Tatum 26 Jalen Brown 24 Marcus Smart 24 as well and the rest of the Boston Celtics I mean they're off Al Horford game six was off this game he only has five points and was two and nine from the field that's 22.2 percent overall from field goal range right and one and six from three as well however 14 boards and defensively he was out there and this was a huge huge defensive game for Al Horford as he actually had a couple of blocks in this one but the one block that really stands out to me Max Drews driving in on Al Horford looking to slam dunk it and probably even make the biggest poster of his career as a young career of Max Drews from the Miami Heat he gets denied by Al Horford at like what 35 36 year old Al Horford getting up there against some young guys, it, it was a pretty incredible to see that, and as well, Al Horford throughout his entire year, at, you know, deep 30s, playing like he's, like, early 20s, it, it's probably phenomenal to see that, but the Celtics themselves, you know, Robert Williams was dealing with a lot of knee problems, two points in this one, three rebounds, in reality, he, I mean, it was like, what, 14, 42, 14 minutes and 42 seconds he played in this one, I mean, there was no limit or restrictions on him, but in reality, it's like, I mean, you got to put Al Horford in there as Al Horford played about 44 minutes in this one, which just told you the story that Williams was not 100% there for this game. And then the bench itself, again, with like the Miami Heat, got a seven-man rotation, Grant Williams, 11 points. Derek White, who has been incredible inside attacking the basket, eight points in this one, and sure, not efficient, 3-8 and eight overall from the field, but you can definitely feel that he was probably one of the better Celtics out there offensively. And when you look at this game, again, the Jimmy Butler 3 will always be controversy. I think it was the right basket to do, especially with Al Horford and Jalen Brown going to be right there in the paint to contest for Jimmy Butler. And at the same time, I mean, he has an open 3. If that 3 goes in, no one's really going to be talking about the shot. I don't think a single person would even question the shot. So, in reality, Jimmy Butler, who built this team up throughout this entire postseason is definitely the best player on that Miami Heat squad that kind of lifted them up to even a game seven against the Boston Celtics who everyone thought really the Celtics should have had that done by game six or game five you got to give them all the applause you got to give them the credit and I really do think that Jimmy Butler should have won the Eastern Conference Finals MVP however at the same time you know, the winning team usually gets it. And I don't know if the NBA would have liked a non-Celtic getting the Larry Bird MVP trophy for the Eastern Conference Finals, which was the first ever in NBA history as this was just introduced midway through the season that a Magic Johnson Western Conference MVP and a Larry Bird uh, Eastern Conference MVP would even show up. And this year's MVP for the Eastern Conference Finals was no other than Jason Tatum. And a lot of people can argue that Al Horford should have deserved it, you know, being the first ever Dominican player to be in the NBA Finals as well. His presence as a veteran probably being one of the biggest pieces of that Boston Celtics team's success. But at the same time, Jason Tatum in that game, as I said before, 26 points and majority of this series, you saw him, you know, going out and getting the bucket for the Boston Celtics, right? When Jalen Brown was off, Jason Tatum was everything. When the Celtics weren't moving the ball, Jason Tatum would go one-on-one a lot and take it to the rim. And especially in this game, he was aggressive. He was really aggressive and phenomenal to see. He was efficient as well, shooting better than 50% overall from the field. And there was even one play from an inbound where they gave it to Jason Tatum with Jimmy Butler guarding right on him, getting low. Jason Tatum does a quick shoulder shrug to the left, 
and accelerates to his right one bounce fade away and he knocks it down and just from that play alone you have to say he is probably the offensive juggernaut that we all thought he would be so jason tatum ends up winning the eastern conference finals mvp the first ever larry bird mvp trophy ever presented to now a boston celtic in jason tatum and now we look into before we go into the finals let's look straight into what the miami heat are looking at right now going into this offseason because I was on Twitter last last night as well as the night before when the Celtics won it. And I've even been on a couple of panels on other podcasts talking about it. But the Miami Heat fans are just livid of this team and some of the players on it. I mean, they're talking about getting rid of Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. I mean, shoot, Kyle Lowry and Bam and Obayo possibly trade factors. And I find that very silly right now. I think Bam and Obayo, the one thing that he needs to elevate in his game specifically is his isolation ball. He needs to go one-on-one with these guys in a low post and be confident enough to take it. Because you saw sparks of it in this series, let alone throughout this entire postseason this year. Bam and Abayo hook shots. Bam and Abayo taking you inside, dribbling it low, and then going off on a quick fade. Bam and Abayo has that ability, and he's still developing. Of course, he fans being impatient, losing that game by only four points. And you have to ask yourself, what if Bam and Abayo ended up taking a little bit more aggression towards Al Horford, towards I mean, shoot, even Derek White was even guarding him at some times. And you just thought that Bam and Abayo would just take advantage of that, and he did it. But I have to say, Bam and Abayo, ever since that sweep that they had to face with the Brooklyn, my apologies, with the Milwaukee Bucks and Brooke Lopez, where Brooke Lopez basically owned Bam and Abayo in that 2021 postseason in round one, I mean, he has come a long way. He has definitely elevated his game it has been incredible to see him develop throughout this entire season with the Miami Heat and I think he's only going to get better with this fire that he has going into the offseason so I wouldn't want to even give up on him and then Tyler Hero missing a couple of games groin injury and probably the best player on their bench obviously six man of the year you know comes with the deal of I don't know scoring probably the same exact production level offensively as some starters in the NBA so in reality getting rid of Tyler Hero would be kind of silly but Duncan Robinson makes sense defensively he's a liability he has the wingspan to improve his game but you never see him actually get better year by year he has a great shot but when he's off he is horribly off hitting the backboard and not even getting close to the rim sometimes so Duncan Robinson would definitely be a piece in the offseason. Max Strews will definitely be a piece in the offseason. I think that Pat Riley would probably find him a new home somewhere unless Max Strews wants to like get a, a ridiculous below a million dollar cut, most likely. And then Kyle Lowry, that is probably the biggest question of this entire offseason. Because obviously one more year with the Miami Heat before anything happens and he was probably the worst Miami Heat player to even be on the court sometimes I mean sure he was doing injuries of his own but Kyle Lowry in the Philadelphia series having an average of six points he had more rebounds and assists most of the times and then not even that when he got hot yeah sure 15 points here and there but he's just hooking up shots and every single time I look at him I feel like he's just trying to draw a foul I remember in this game going across a screen from Bam Adebayo uh, Jalen Brown even follow him through and Kyle Lowry just threw his back, falling onto the ground, almost re-injuring his ankle. It was insane to see. It's like these guys just expect that there's going to be physicality behind them. And instead of like, yo, I left this guy behind me. Let me go straight to the basket. You're looking for the foul? I mean, don't do that. 
I mean, you're an all-star, former NBA champion. Kyle Lowry, do not be looking for that. Don't make your career end like that. So Kyle Lowry right now is definitely, I mean, if he asked me, Pat Riley probably would not move him. But if I was in his shoes, I mean, he'd be gone by tomorrow. Kyle Lowry would be gone by tomorrow because there's a lot of possibilities right now swarming around this offseason for the Miami Heat in the trade seasons before the season even starts. I mean, they're talking about, you know, Bradley Beal. They're talking about Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid, Donovan Mitchell, who has always been in circulation with the Miami Heat's franchise for some reason. And if you ask me, I, I you know, I'm not a huge Donovan Mitchell guy. You know, I don't really want to buy real estate on his land of success because I just don't believe there's going to be enough growth in his crops. Donovan Mitchell, great player, you know, definitely surprised a lot of people from his draft class. But still, at the same time, Utah during the playoffs hasn't gone anywhere. And it's like, I mean, you got home court advantage. You got the advantage over the other team, obviously, because your roster is built to win. And Donovan Mitchell doesn't show up in those games. Donovan Mitchell, I felt like, hits his ceiling way too early. And if he goes anywhere else besides Utah, he's not going to be successful. He goes to Miami, Eric Spolstra in that system. He's going to be another, you know, most likely Victor Oladipo type of scenario where, you know, you have a game here and there. Yeah, sure. But how many minutes is he going to get over Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero? I mean, do you even see him going to be a 30 or 25 plus points a game type of guy in the regular season, let alone in the playoffs? How does he look like in the Eastern Conference, who has been more physical than obviously any of the games that Utah played in the playoffs with Donovan Mitchell from Dallas and Denver? I mean, they're not they're not going to allow Donovan Mitchell to get anything against the Boston Celtics, anything against the Milwaukee Bucks. So that's definitely going to be one question that Heat fans are going to have to look at. If you ask me, Donovan Mitchell is a no-go. Bradley Beal is probably going to be getting a five-year deal with the Washington Wizards and surprisingly be probably one of the top-paid players in this game. But Joel Embiid, I mean, you can't really fleece Philadelphia because Morrissey is obviously going to be asking for a huge price, which might include not only Kyle Lowry, but most likely Tyler Hero. And that's up to Pat Riley if he really wants to end the Tyler Hero project, which I think that it's too early in his stages to even look at for the future, especially if you want to trade him. But the most reliable thing that could possibly happen for the Miami Heat during this offseason, a Damian Lillard trade, sign-in trade even of that. We're talking about the Portland Trail Blazers getting rid of CJ McCollum midway this year, and then new GMs coming in, a couple of guys even from ESPN and all that. I mean, this is a new front office right now. This is a front office that has no loyalty to the former players because they don't know the former players. They're trying to help the Portland Trailblazers do a rebuild. And if you ask me, a lot of people are out the door. They already got one foot outside the door in Portland saying, I'm out of here. I'm ready for the trade whenever you are. I'm ready to go to South Beach, if anything. And one of those players, I feel like, that could possibly be on the move just because he's the only player left on the Portland Trailblazers that has any type of value where you can get a couple of first-round picks and, of course, a player that could play today that is younger. The point guard, all-star, Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard to the Miami Heat is not too far away of a thought, if you really think about it, right? Damian Lillard, right? Obviously, all-star guy, been in Portland his entire career, hasn't really gotten anywhere as further than the Western Conference Finals, and that was only one season. He is right now in a position where he will most likely not make a single playoff appearance if he stays in Portland. And the Portland Trailblazers, as a front office, has at least do the due diligence 
of exactly what the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson in the same state. Hey, we're going to be rebuilding. We don't want you here on the rebuild because we love you too much. Go out there. Get another Super Bowl. Go to Denver. Go to the Broncos. In the same way in the NBA, Damian Lillard might be in the same shoes as Russell Wilson right now. And I hate to tell you from those people out there in the state of Washington, everywhere on the West Coast that loves Damian Lillard, but Damian Lillard is most likely going to be leaving the Portland Trailblazers in the next year or two. I, I just can't imagine Portland just keeping him hostage. So Damian Lillard going to the Miami Heat. In the Miami Heat, what do they have to offer? I mean, again, they got a couple of guys out there like Tyler Hero that can easily trade. And they're probably the only person I would trade Tyler Hero for in a package deal. You can trade Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and if you want Kyle Lowry and look for another point guard either in free agency that's not going to be asking for a huge price tag. And most likely, if he'd have any... I mean, I know that they never really do have any first-round draft picks, but I'm looking for the year 2027, maybe. Look at the year 2028. Give out those first-round picks, because that's when the future of Portland will most likely be needing everything they can get through the draft. So in reality, Miami has the pieces, and the Trailblazers are in the situation where they're looking to shop. Even despite the fact that Damon Lillard has been there his entire career, you don't want to make sure that his entire career goes faulty just because he's a part of another rebuild over there in Portland. And that's what I really think the Miami Heat will be doing throughout this entire offseason. It's going to be a mission. Get Damian to Miami. And the Heat, of course, one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Victory and going into the Finals. I mean, they got a lot of baggage to keep on going. So if you're a Miami Heat fan out there, do not fret. Do not worry. Your team will be back. And most likely, I mean, in the past two years my apologies in the past three years we've seen two eastern conference finals between the miami heat and the boston celtics this could be an eastern conference rivalry most likely can't even imagine it not being unless of course milwaukee goes insane but at the same time the milwaukee bucks gotta go through boston you gotta go through the miami heat and who knows what's gonna happen in brooklyn i mean that'll probably be for another episode we're gonna talk about the brooklyn nets during their offseason but Besides that, let's go straight into the ending of this episode with the NBA Finals now coming up on Thursday at 9 o'clock ABC. The Golden State Warriors will be hosting Game 1 in the Chase Center in San Francisco, California against the Boston Celtics, a young scrappy team with probably the best season they've had as a team in the past decade. We're talking about a first-team All-NBA Jason Tatum, two All-Stars in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, as well as Defensive Player of the Year in NBA first-team defense, Marcus Smart, and second-team All-NBA defense in Robert Williams III. Now, where do I see this series? Specifically, I'm more interested on the idea of Golden State's off-ball being collaborated with the Boston Celtics defense and how well they do switching off screens, which is probably one of the more successful stories of that Heat Celtics series that went to seven games. But in reality, the Marcus Smart, Draymond Green factors of both of these teams mean that, hey, they got an aggressor out there. The factors of Jason Tatum and Stephen Curry, hey, they got the offensive side out there. The only question is right now, what is the efficiency going to be looking like? Because Golden State has been efficient throughout this entire playoffs. However, at the same time, they've gone against Denver in five games. They've gone against the Memphis Grizzlies in six games. And I mean, what, two of those games, the last two games? I mean, no John Morant, but at the same time, Memphis was able to blow them out by almost 50 points at home. And then they ended up going to Golden State and losing that one 
in probably a close matchup till the last two minutes. So you have to ask yourself, I mean, this is probably going to be the best matchup the Golden State Warriors have faced throughout this entire postseason. And fitting as it is in the finals, the Boston Celtics have been through the fire. They've been through some times where they have to be playing in runs. They got to be out there playing the best defense that they can. And a reality, I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 40 points, most likely 35 a game in that series in the round two with the Boston Celtics. So does that mean that, hey, Stephen Curry is going to go crazy? It's going to be over just because Stephen Curry gets you 30-something out the gate? Oh, Jordan Poole's going to give you 20-something out the gate. Klay Thompson's going to... I mean, you have to realize the Boston Celtics have gone against the best player in the NBA. One of the arguably best duos in the NBA. But despite, of course, you know, Brooklyn struggling. And then, of course, the Miami Heat, where you have the best player in the postseason to look like in Jimmy Butler. And that entire team was matching the physicality of the Boston Celtics. And the Celtics did all this with missing starters, most likely every single game throughout this entire way. From either that be Robert Williams in the Brooklyn Nets series, Marcus Smart getting the injury midway through this entire Heat series. And then, of course, again, guys battling out with Milwaukee. And Milwaukee only missing Middleton. The rest of the squad over there was healthy. So, in reality, it's like the Celtics have gone through injuries. They've gone through probably the hardest bracket that you can out of the Eastern Conference. And you have to ask yourself, I mean, I mean how does that not play in? for this series for the finals. The Golden State Warriors will be facing off a matchup of a team that have been through adversity and have I mean as I said before, they're not a track team, they haven't run from anything. I do believe that Golden State does win this series. However, the Boston Celtics are going to win this series. It'll have to be in 6 games and vice versa for the Warriors. I can't imagine this going to 7 games. I feel like the first two games might be going to Golden State. And then you go back to TD Garden. And you have the Celtics going insane in TD for one of those games. Might even lose one of those games. But at the same time, best playoff road record for the Boston Celtics. Right? Overall, they do not win any of the games against Golden State Warriors. And then lose afterwards. Or actually flip that around. The Boston Celtics haven't lost a single game after a loss in these postseason. They haven't lost two straight since the beginning of, my, my apologies, the late days of March. So, what, I mean, where does that random stat put you right now? It puts you in the idea that this will not be a sweep. And this will not be going to five games. Either that Golden State wins it or not. This will not be going to five games. If the Golden State Warriors are going to be finishing off this Celtics team, it'll have to be in six games, specifically just because if you take a game in TED, you're most likely not going to be winning in game five. The only game they have to win in TD Garden in Boston will be game six. I feel like that is the only possibility just because you lose a game, the Celtics win a game. So it could be one and one after the first two games. Who knows? But they have to win in TD either Game 4 or Game 6 to really win this series. And that's where it's going to come down to. The later days in this Finals. And of course, the Finals will be going throughout the entire two weeks. And the first game being this Thursday. The Boston Celtics young team against an experienced Warriors team who is going to their sixth Finals in the past eight years in the Steve Kerr era. And that will be ending up this episode. I want to thank you again for joining into the podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. And I'll see you guys for Friday to kind of recap 
you know, the first game of the finals. Everyone's going to be watching it. I'll be watching it. And I hope that I'll see you guys back coming up later this week.